Welcome to Lessons from the Helpful Dead, where you learn the world is not what it seems and you are much more than you think you are. Here you learn about positive and reassuring messages from supposedly dead people whose main purpose is to help us. Find out what happens after we die, why we're here, how we got here, where we're going, and discover that you are really a powerful eternal spirit. I'm Dan McEnany. Before I get into today's session, which is about the environment uh, that Seth inhabits and uh, the similarities that it has to what we experience, I'd like to make a few points that uh, are not necessarily related to today's material. Now, the first point is that for anyone who is uh, starting to listen to this podcast, it's very important to start at number one so that you understand the basic premises and the evidence on which subsequent sessions are based. Trying to come in at like, like this session or another one would leave a lot of questions unanswered. Another point I'd like to make is one that I made at the preface of some of my books, and that is, do not commit suicide. I've learned recently that many young people are contemplating suicide, and some of them thinking that death has to be better. Well, because these sessions uh, paint a picture of death where it's an expansion of consciousness and there's a lot of joy, that in no way uh, indicates that it would be a good thing for any young person to uh, commit suicide. And the reason for that is that you're here to learn and to develop. And if you commit suicide, you cut short the learning session, and you're going to have to come back to it at, at some point. So you might as well hang in there, uh, learn your lessons, develop as much as you can, and uh, please do not commit suicide thinking that death is going to be so much greater. Another point I'll make is that in uh, Looking through the various uh, books that were published uh, by Prentice Hall that contained the Seth information, it became apparent uh, to me that I had not really looked at the beginning uh, very much. That was on purpose because the book, The Seth Material, uh, devoted a lot of time to uh, how uh, Jane eventually accepted uh, the Seth personality as something separate from her own and went through many, many months of doubt. She was very reluctant and skeptical to uh, accept the Seth personality as uh, something separate. She figured, well, it might be uh, some part of her subconscious, and she went to psychologists and, and other experts and the psychic and the paranormal and had many, many doubts and wanted it many times to end the sessions, but... Because of the quality of the material and its helpfulness to Jane and Rob, her husband, uh, they eventually decided that it's best to go ahead, and uh, they certainly began to realize that the Seth personality was something that was coming through Jane's subconscious, but was not Jane's subconscious. It was indeed an entity from another plane that had a lot of valuable, helpful information to share. So if any of you were under the impression that Seth, uh, that uh, Jane sat down one day and started dictating and uh, went merrily on her way, not at all. Uh, she was very, very critical, and uh, that helps the credibility of the information that was eventually imparted. One last point, and it's a very important one. I've recently learned that there is uh, suddenly in recent years a growing movement to have children begin to consider changing their sex 
and to provide them uh, drugs and surgery and whatnot in order to have them begin to change their sex even at a young age. Now, these sessions have emphasized that the big self of which we're a part is pure spirit. It's not physical. And the big self has many focused personalities. That's each of us, which comes into this physical world, the human time-space illusion. And the big self does have uh, different uh, personality selves uh, like us, right? that are sometimes male, sometimes female, sometimes rich, sometimes poor, sometimes uh, highly intellectual, sometimes not so much. And so the big self generally would want to uh, experience the earth life from many different perspectives. But this is totally different from changing sex once you're already physical. Once a child has been born and is now material and physical, uh, it is a totally different thing to try to change the sex of that person as opposed to a big self, a spirit, uh, animating and energizing several different lives of, of different people of different sexes. So in no way would I want anyone to think that this ability of the big self to have different personalities of different sexes uh, going on on the earth. In no way would I want anyone to think that this is some kind of an endorsement for this fumbling scientific, uh, supposedly scientific medical uh, effort to have people change their sex once they are physical. If someone wants to do that uh, once they're an adult, uh, okay, they can do their thing. But in no way uh, do I believe that children be, should be subjected to uh, those kinds of efforts. All right, with those points made, I'll now turn to the uh, material of this session, which has to do with Seth's environment. And I'll start here uh, reading uh, a paragraph. He says, each reader is a portion of his or her, her own entity and is developing toward the same kind of existence that I know. In childhood and in the dream state, each personality is aware to some extent of the true freedom that belongs to its own inner consciousness. These abilities of which I speak, therefore, are inherent characteristics of consciousness as a whole and of each personality. Well, let's stop right there. It's a very important statement he made that all of us are developing toward the same kind of existence that Seth knows now. So that what was covered in the last session and what will be covered here, each of us is headed toward that kind of existence. Also, the abilities that he talks about, which are much greater than what we would normally attribute to ourselves, those abilities are in each personality. So that's a good cause for celebration, isn't it? As I mentioned uh, last time, on a grander, larger scale, outside of time and space, why, uh, we're already there. But that's uh, not something we can contemplate at the moment. Let's uh, take some more comments of Seth. My environment, he said, as I told you, changes constantly, but then so does your own. You rationalize away quite legitimate, intuitive perception at such times. For example, if a room suddenly appears small and cramped to you, you take it for granted that this change of dimension is imaginative and that the room had not changed regardless of your feelings. The fact is that the room under such conditions will have changed quite definitely. 
and in very major respects, even though the physical dimensions will still measure the same. The entire psychological impact of the room will have altered. Its effect will be felt by others beside yourself. It will attract certain kinds of events rather than, rather than others, and it will alter your own psychological structure and hormonal output. You will react to the altered state of the room even in quite physical ways, though its width or length in inches or feet may not seem to vary. Well now, isn't that interesting? We've all assumed that uh, rooms are rooms and their dimensions don't change, and that's why we have uh, people like interior decorators who uh, depend on the room not changing. But Seth is telling us that in its psychological aspects, the room is changing quite a bit so that it actually would seem smaller, although he says seem is not the right word. <laughs> it is. Anyway, something to think about. He also comments on uh, our, the shape of our body. He says, you're constantly changing the form, the shape, the contour, and the meaning of your physical body and most intimate environment, although you do your best to ignore these constant alterations. On the other hand, we allow them full reign, knowing that we're motivated by an inner stability that can well afford spontaneity and creation, and realizing that spiritual and psychological identity are dependent upon creative change. Our environment, therefore, is composed of ex exquisite imbalances, where change is allowed full play. Your own time structure misleads you into your ideas of the relative permanency of physical matter, and you close your eyes to the constant alterations within it, including those in your body. Your physical senses confine you as best they can to the perception of a highly formalized reality. Only through the use of intuitions and in sleep and dream states as a rule can you perceive the joyfully changing nature of your own and any consciousness. So what Seth is pointing out here is that the intensely close, up-close, tight focus on reality, which we have to have in order to navigate in the human time-space illusion, that really keeps us from recognizing and realizing the constant change that's going on. And so while there's constant change uh, in Seth's reality, yes, we also have it, but we just aren't so aware of it because we have to keep our focus uh, on this human time-space illusion and on matter. Now here's another point. There is no end to our environment. In your terms, there would be no lack of space or time in which to operate. Now this would put tremendous pressure on any consciousness without proper background and development. We do not have one simple cosy universe in which to hide. We're still alert to other quite alien systems of reality that flash on the very outskirts of consciousness as we know it. There are far more various kinds of consciousness than there are physical forms, each with its own patterns of perception, dwelling within its own camouflage system. Yet all of these have inner knowledge of the reality that exists within all camouflage and that composes any reality by whatever name it is called. Now, Seth packed quite a bit in that uh, short paragraph. Obviously, we are not equipped at this stage to handle uh, an environment uh, that has no end, where there's multiple universes to deal with all the time. Uh, and, of course, we are not equipped to deal with the awareness and existence and interaction with 
all the various kinds of consciousness that are out there. Seth is also making the point that there are far more uh, non-form consciousnesses than there are those that take form. So we have enough trouble just dealing with those <clears throat> that have taken form, much less those that are in uh, spirit uh, without any form at all. And these apparently are far more numerous than those where there is form. And the last point is particularly uh, interesting because um, he's saying that anyone, any entity, any being like us dwelling within our own camouflage system as we are, we have some inner knowledge of the reality that exists within all camouflage. But of course, we're not aware of it, certainly not aware of it at the conscious level. Again, because we have to have restricted uh, focus and an uptight uh, focus on the time-space illusion here in order to navigate. Uh, next, he goes into uh, comments about the dream state. He said, now many of these freedoms that they have are quite natural to you in the dream state, and you form dream environments often to exercise such potentials. You can learn to change your physical environment, therefore, by learning to change and manipulate your dream environment. You can also suggest specific dreams in which a desired change is seen. And under certain conditions, these will then appear in your physical reality. Now often, you do this without realizing it. Now as we've discussed in, in uh, past sessions, uh, dreams are where we work out uh, the different probabilities and see what would happen in order to decide which one we want to materialize on the following day or days. Dreams can also uh, give us solutions to problems or challenges that we're facing. Jane Roberts, incidentally, became quite adept at uh, coming awake within a dream and being able to control what goes on in the dream. Uh, for, that's called lucid dreaming. And for most of us, it would take some work, but uh, I suppose we could uh, eventually get there. On the other hand, if we're aware that we can suggest to ourselves certain things before we uh, go to sleep, that would be helpful also. Uh, I have not done too much experimenting, but I have suggested to myself certain things before dreaming. Uh, and in one instance, I didn't feel I was getting enough exercise. And so in that night's dream, I was, I think I was on the front of a ship in a rough ocean or something of that sort. And that's just uh, one example of how I've used uh, what dreams I have to, to help myself. And so you might start uh, working on dreams yourself if you haven't. Now, next, uh, Seth turns to, uh, in, in this, uh, these comments, he turns to uh, consciousness, uh, not all consciousness having form. He says, whole consciousness adopts various forms. It need not always be within a form. All forms are not physical ones. Some personalities, therefore, have never been physical. They have evolved along different lines, and their psychological structures would be alien to your own. To some extent, I also travel through such environments. Consciousness must show itself, however. It cannot unbe. If it is not physical, it must therefore show its activation in other ways. In some systems, for example, it forms highly integrated mathematical and musical patterns that are themselves stimuli for other universal systems. I, meaning Seth, I am not very well acquainted with these, however, and cannot speak of them with any great familiarity. If my environment is not a permanently structured one, then, as I have told you, neither is your own. 
If I am aware of communicating now through Rupert, that's what he called Jane, in different ways, each of you telepathically communicates to and through other personalities. So there's quite a bit there. If uh, consciousness is not going to manifest itself in some form, some physical way, it must activate itself in some way, and whether it's musical patterns, mathematical patterns, uh, energy forms, light forms, whatever, it's got to uh, uh, manifest itself, although well, light, I guess, is manifestation. And he uh, concluded that remark, uh, again, making the similarity between our method of communication and, uh, and his, so we do telepathically communicate to and through other personalities, while um, they do the same, of course, on their level with much greater intensity and openness, as was mentioned. In these next comments, uh, Seth goes into what he calls the inner senses. And it's interesting, at the end of uh, the Seth material, the very first uh, book, uh, at the end of that, there is a list of the inner senses and how to develop them. But that's for another time. Right now, we'll uh, read some of his comments about the inner senses. The senses that you use in a very real manner create the environment that you perceive. Your physical senses necessitate the perception of a three-dimensional reality. Consciousness is equipped with inner perceptors, however. These are inherent within all consciousness, regardless of its development. These perceptors operate quite independently from those that might be assumed when a given consciousness adopts a specialized form, such as a physical body, in order to operate in a particular system. So each reader, therefore, has inner senses, and to some extent uses them constantly. Though he's not aware of doing so at an ego level, now we use the inner senses quite freely and consciously. That's we. We use them at his level. They use them quite freely and consciously. And if you were to do so, then you would perceive the same kind of environment in which I have my existence. You would see an uncamouflaged situation in which events and forms were free and not stuck in a jelly-like mold of time. You could see, for example, your present living room not only as a conglomeration of permanent appearing furniture, but switch your focus and see the immense and constant dance of molecules and other particles that compose the various objects. You could see a phosphorescent-like glow, the aura of an electromagnetic structure that compose the molecules themselves. You could, if you wished, condense your consciousness until it was small enough to travel through a single molecule, and from the molecule's own world look out and survey the universe of the room and the gigantic galaxy of interrelated, ever-moving star-like shapes. Now, all of these possibilities represent a legitimate reality. Yours is no more legitimate than any other, but it is the only one that you perceive. Using the inner senses, we become conscious creators, co-creators. But you are unconscious co-creators, whether you know it or not. If our environment seems unstructured to you, it's only because you do not understand the true nature of order, which has nothing to do with permanent form, but only appears to have form from your perspective. There is no four o'clock in the afternoon or nine o'clock in the evening in my environment. By this, I mean I am not restricted to a time sequence. There's nothing preventing me from experiencing such sequences if I choose. We experience time, or what you would call its equivalent uh, nature in terms of intensities of experience, 
a psychological time with its own peaks and valleys. This is somewhat similar to your own emotional feelings when time seems speeded up or slowed down, but it's vastly different in important ways. Our psychological time could be compared in terms of environment to the walls of a room, but in our case, the walls would be constantly changing in color, size, height, depth, and width. So basically, he's pointing out that by using our inner senses, changing the focus of our consciousness, we could perceive our universe in a very different way than we do. And in a past episode, if you remember, I remember uh, sharing uh, that uh, during my cancer treatments, I experienced being a tiny microbe or whatever traveling through uh, the veins of a body. Here's another comment. Our psychological structures are different, practically speaking, in that we consciously utilize a multidimensional psychological reality that you inherently possess, but are unfamiliar with at the ego level. It's natural, then, that our environment, environment would have multidimensional qualities that the physical senses would never perceive. So, once again, just like in Seth's environment, we do possess the multidimensional psychological reality uh, that they use all the time. But, of course, at our level, we're just not even familiar with that. Here are some interesting comments on perception uh, and creation. He said, creation and perception are far more intimately, intimately connected than any of your scientists realize. It's quite true that your physical senses create the reality that they perceive. A tree is something far different to a microbe, a bird, an insect, and a man who stands beneath it. I'm not saying that the tree only appears to be different. It is different. You perceive its reality through one set of highly specialized senses. This does not mean that its reality exists in that form any more, uh, rather in any more basic way than it exists in the form perceived by the microbe, the insect, or the bird. You cannot perceive the quite valid reality of that tree in any context but your own. This applies to anything within the physical system that you know. No, it's not that the physical reality that you know is false. It is that the physical picture is simply one of an infinite number of ways of perceiving the various guises through which consciousness expresses itself. The physical senses force you to translate ex experience into physical perceptions. The inner senses open your range of perception, allow you to interpret experience in a far freer manner, and to and to create new forms and new channels through which you or any consciousness can know itself. Now, that's a very curious and interesting comment. Next time you take a walk through the woods and you say, oh yeah, there are the trees. We figure those trees are trees just the way we see them. But they are something entirely different to an insect or a bird. So the reality of the tree is not connected directly just to the perception that you and I have or that the bird has or the worm has. <laughs> I know I have mentioned that statement in past sessions and again it's so important. <clears throat> it's not that physical reality is false. It's an illusion but a real illusion, right? It's that the physical picture is simply one of an infinite number of ways of perceiving the various guises through which consciousness expresses itself. And with that, I'm going to end this very long session. 
And uh, again, I'm Dan McEnany bringing you lessons from the helpful dead.